So the smallest right. nation on Earth has a subway. Yeah. And we don't. Basically, yep. Welcome to the internet, live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah. This is the very first episode of the Red Line Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts... Kyle Holland and... Alex Fielder. Today we're going to be discussing the great American way of getting around. Bum, bum, bum! The car. Oh, everyone's favorite mode of transportation. That's right. Today we're going to talk about the way of getting around that, um, how do I put this gently, Kyle? Oh, yeah. Destroyed America over the last 80 years. Wow. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Pretty special. So, how did we go from Europe-esque, relatively livable cities of the early 1900s to the car-dependent, disgusting urban sprawl of today? Well, that's what we're here to talk about. But first, a little background for the car lovers among us. Shout out to car lovers for listening to a public transportation podcast. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing here, dude. Like, this is this may not be your scene. But, but stay, stay. Yeah, stay anyway. We want your money. Yes, uh, yes oh, we do. Did I um, say that out loud? You did say that out oh, loud. Oh, good. You're right. We're spitting facts. We do want their money. <laughs> but we want everyone's money equally. Yeah. Car lover... BRT apologist, whatever you are, we want your money. Yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> oh, we just got way off topic. Uh, so, cars. Invented 1866 by Carl Benz. That name may sound familiar to some of you because there's this, uh, this small little company called Mercedes-Benz. And then, you know, this guy is kind of racist American guy. His name was Henry Ford. He also hated Jews. Wow, what a great American success story. Yes, American heroes all around us. Uh, he invented the assembly line, except he didn't. But he did invent it for cars. Well, it was a good idea. Good you can him. give him that. It took off. It did take off. By the time that it was the year 1920, there were 7.5 million cars in the U.S. By 1950, 40 million. And today, 287 million cars in America. That's almost one for every person. <laughs> That's like a lot. That is, that is definitely Don't like cars hold, like, five to eight people? Yes, <laughs> yes. So maybe yeah. we have, like, too many or um, something. Well, that's, a, that's an unpopular opinion here. Up top. America. Ah, but so to most people today in the United States who rely on their cars or to get around, you know, to go to the grocery store, to go to work, to go to Walmart, that's also a grocery store. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. I've mentioned two grocery stores. One is a generic grocery store and one is Walmart. Well, techni- technically, Walmart is a chain supermarket, so you can get uh, stuff other than groceries. Uh, uh, uh. It has everything you need. It has everything you need, which is, you know, kind of another problem, but that's not really within our scope. But anyway, car ownership, it promotes economic mobility. It makes it super easy to get around. It gives you freedom. You can't see this, but we're all saluting right now. Yes, Um, (laughs) But what most people don't really talk about all that much is the, like, 
obscene amount of negative side effects that the growth of the car industry and car infrastructure in general have had on the United States. Like, I... There's so many. This is going to be like, what, a half hour, 40 minutes? And we're not even getting into the half of it. So I think that the uh, probably biggest uh, issue around cars is sort of what they did to cities. Uh, Have either of you ever heard of a man, a visionary, a true American icon, Robert A. Moses? No. I have now. Uh, Well... (laughs) He's a pretty special guy. So if you weren't aware, audience, uh, there was this thing in the 1950s that was real popular called urban renewal. And it was this really cool trend where uh, cities just destroyed neighborhoods to build freeways. Mmm, renewed and refreshed. (laughs) Yes, because, uh, you know, a walkable neighborhood's much worse than an eight-lane freeway. Oh, yes. Walking is terrible. I would rather drive my car everywhere. I'm sure you would, Kyle. I wish the U of U campus was only roads. I, yeah, me too. Like, it should be just Honestly, roads. if I could drive for, like, one minute from my dorm room to class, that would be, like, the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> I wish classes were, like, driving movies. Oh, boy. Dude, that would be brilliant. Instead of a 300-seat lecture hall, you could have a 300-parking spot drive-in area. It would oh. be, okay, it would be fun to calculate how many oh. parking spots you would need for that. <laughs> yeah, that would be... Uh, I love seeing your face right now. Uh, you guys are just causing me physical pain. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, even here in Salt Lake, we have evidence of it. We have the Belt Route, and we have I-15, which has literally cut the entire city into three pieces pretty great. A lot of places it was a lot worse. Especially, you know, places like Detroit, like Houston, even New York and San Francisco had these issues. Detroit, um, absolute classic. Oh yes, an well, absolute Motor classic. City, right? Motor yeah. City. Yeah. Yep, that's well, the one. Well, we're gonna get into this a little later, but it's kind of ironic that it's called Motor City because the cause of Detroit being the gigantic mess that it is today, spoiler, but it's cars. Whoa. I know. Did not see that coming. <laughs> groundbreaking. Total curveball. Totally groundbreaking. And, you know, this is something that it's important to note as we talk about urban renewal a little bit here. Most of the neighborhoods that Robert Moses and other super dictatorial, top-down urban planners who wanted to build freeways for every road in the 1950s and 60s, most of the neighborhoods that they destroyed uh, were neighborhoods where mostly people of color lived. Um racism bad that ties into redlining right yes actually redlining is a lot to do with this because the neighborhoods that these people of color lived in and that these low-income individuals lived in were not only raised and destroyed to install massive freeways for white people to commute into big cities with they were also cut into tiny little pieces and their economic mobility was destroyed and thus we have the kind of crippling inner city poverty that all of us americans know and uh not love i hope tolerate well no not really (laughs) we don't tolerate it we just kind of pretend like it doesn't exist but whatever The main effect of this thing on the actual downtown areas of cities was pretty terrible. Downtown cities went from basically like a, you know, a normal neighborhood except with slightly taller buildings and slightly higher population density where people lived and worked and could walk to the grocery store to basically giant parking lots punctuated by office buildings. Turns out you can't actually fit all the housing and all the parking lots and all the massive freeways and all the giant office buildings in the same place. I so. know. 
What a weird thing. I know. It's almost like parking lots take up an obscene amount of space. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we have that statistic saved for later. <laughs> you know, and even though Detroit is probably the worst example of the downtown being destroyed, I mean, please go and look at a satellite picture of Detroit in like 1930 versus it in 1950 and 1960. Like the three of us looked at a picture today and all of us were just completely shocked. It's just sliced up with freeways. Chop, chop, chop. I Not mean, even, like, major strodes. These are, like, full-on interstates. I know. And, like, how many were there? More than I could actually count. I think I saw at least, like, seven or eight spaghetti junctions just within the Detroit city center. And that's just... That's so much. Yeah. Kind like, of completely inaccessible unless you're in a car. Unless you're in a car. And, you know, not to be conspiracy, but <coughs> that was the <coughs> point. Because, you know, all these GM lobbyists, motor industry lobbyists were pushing Congress really hard for some strange reason to build more car infrastructure. Isn't that a weird thing? Yeah, that is kind mm. of funny that a car company would want car infrastructure. I know. It's so, it's just so weird. And I mean, it got to the point where downtowns were just made for commuters, where they were just parking lots and office buildings, where there are stories from the early 70s and the 80s of people just being able to go to city center in midday, like at, say, six or seven o'clock after all the commuters had skipped town back to the suburbs and just lay in the middle of major streets because there was just no one there. It's it's crazy. It's yeah. like <laughs> early COVID, I guess. <laughs> Jeez, that's kind of depressing. Very depressing. And, you know, the evidence of this is all around us today. I mean, go look at any downtown. Like, I mean, you've been to downtown Salt Lake. I have been downtown. And Salt Lake, as we mentioned earlier, is one of the less bad examples of this problem. There is not that much housing. It is overwhelmingly giant office buildings, shopping areas, and parking. Well, they're starting to build a lot more, like, condos and... They are. Well, not condos, I guess high-rise <laughs> apartments. Yeah. Yeah, not as much in central downtown, but those are popping up. Which yeah. is good, but at the same time, there's still an obscene amount of parking in downtown Salt Lake. I mean, just look at next to Courthouse Station. That's a very local reference. I'm sorry, viewers. But next to Courthouse Station, there's just that massive pay parking lot. Yeah. Just there. Uh, I walk past that every that day. One, that one's like an work. entire block. An entire yeah. 700 by 700 foot Salt Lake City block. It's also interesting because it's owned by the same people who own the, the mall downtown. Interesting. And there's a whole parking lot under the mall, like four stories. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's an entire It makes you wonder why it's there. And you never see that many people park there. Yeah. At least when I go to work around like 5 p.m. So I guess that makes sense. But yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. absolutely crazy because even though a lot of cities in the modern day have started like actual urban renewal efforts of like actually making downtown like, you know, a place you can sort of live again. You know, with like green spaces and bike lanes and all of these sorts of like amenities that help humans like live and thrive. Yeah, not to mention like even just places you can go shop and eat. Like most downtowns didn't even have those for several decades. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So even now, like, there's just still parking lots everywhere. There's just tall buildings and parking lots everywhere, especially in cities like Houston and Detroit. So American downtowns were basically forever screwed. Uh, well, not forever screwed. I shouldn't say that. But, you know, screwed for a long time by the introduction of top-down freeway-heavy planning in the 1950s and 60s. 
Oh, yes. The whole commuting architecture really takes a toll on downtown. Like, all these tall buildings, these aren't, like, high-rise, multi-purpose shopping and housing buildings. These are tall office buildings that are vacant two-thirds of the time. Yeah. Completely vacant. And it's just, it's it's not great. It's not great. Salt Lake, in particular, has a huge problem with bank office buildings. Oh, yes. As I <laughs> One think... One specific bank, if you will. <laughs> M.M. Wells Fargo. M.M. <laughs> you know, why does Wells Fargo have the tallest building in every city? I think that's because something... Because they have a lot of money. But, like, Portland, Salt Lake, Denver, all have the tallest building as a Wells Fargo building. Huh? And, like, the third tallest in where I come from, Boise, is a Wells Fargo well, building. They were, probably, they were probably built before people realized Wells Fargo bad. <laughs> yeah, but. Wells Fargo, kind of a scam. But there are a lot of bank office buildings in most downtowns today. And, you know, all those people who used to live, you know, live and work downtown, they had to go somewhere. Which brings us to Kyle's very favorite place, the American Suburb. All hail the mighty suburb. Oh, yes. With its endless, identical single-family housing spaced out just far enough that you can't really walk anywhere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. At the same time as we were starting these urban renewal programs of building freeways and turning cities into giant parking lots with office buildings, we were trying a new type of suburb, which is quite a radical experiment So historically, basically, suburbs were just small towns on the outskirts. Like, they were the same as a city neighborhood. Like, you could walk to the grocery store and you could walk to the train station. That's how commuters got to work. I guess we'd call it transit-oriented development today, wouldn't we? Yeah, we've got a few neighborhoods like that closer to downtown. Yeah, like uh, by Mill Creek Station, there's the big old TOD thing. But basically, everything was transit-oriented development. And that was pretty cool because all these little suburbs, they had a lot of people in them, but they weren't crowded. They were walkable. They were livable. You could have everything you need and you could still get into town quick to work your job in the big city. Yeah, they were designed to help you live. You know, like people instead of... uh, what are, what are those things called, again, that we design everything for in America? Commuters. Cars? <laughs> Both of those things. You're right. Commuters <laughs> in cars. Commute. Ooh. Getting coffee. That's And going pretty... to their 9 to 5 office job downtown. Which is an increasingly irrelevant commute, but <clears throat> never mind. <laughs> uh, so these were like, these were good places to live. And they were called streetcar suburbs or rail line suburbs because, you know, they were on the streetcar line or on the rail line from downtown and that's how people would get in without like massive sprawl but at the same time we're deciding well we're destroying the city centers so we gotta have people living somewhere and there's all these men coming back from the war who have just fought for america and they want their white picket fence single family home and automobile so we invented the planned community wow it is the literal dream for a car Oh, yes, absolutely. These are just, like, some of these early planned communities are just enormous. Some firms on Long Island and in areas outside of Boston and other large eastern cities were building 10, 20,000 homes at a time and selling them en masse to people. Which is crazy. I mean, it's great that they were meeting the demand at the time, but the long-term lasting effects of these developments... That's right, because they didn't have, like you know, stores in them, or really that many public spaces. They were just mostly road, sidewalk, lawn, house. Don't forget the white picket fence. Don't forget the white picket... And the two or three car garage. Ah, and the two or three car garage, that's right. And the kids playing on the lawn. (laughs) And the kids playing on the lawn, but not in the street. 
That's mm, dangerous. Of course well, not. That's the cause. That's, that's the, the cause. cars domain. That's yeah. right. Mm, yes. Um, right on your doorstep. Oh, yes. Okay. Wonderful. I just really can't stress to Americans who are used to this sort of thing, because we all live near these things. Like, whether you're in the middle of a big city or, like, in a normal town, these sort of planned communities are everywhere. They're ubiquitous. Like, I grew up in one. I uh, grew up in one. Yeah, I, I grew up in one. Yeah. yeah. Everybody I know, pretty much, who is white middle class person like me, ahem. A little bit of University of Utah demographics shining through here. Uh, yes. <laughs> We've got people from all walks of life, but it is expensive. Yes. Basically, every white middle class person I know grew up in a planned community suburb like that, with the exception of a few people I know from the East Coast. It's just so ubiquitous now, we don't realize how freaking weird it is. Because these population densities in these places are as low as rural population densities, and we're providing citywide services to them. It's weird. It's something that they don't do that much other places, and it's something that was never done before. Yeah, it's such a waste of infrastructure. And again, back to cars and the total lack of places of business, stores, best you'll get in most suburbs is a small shopping area with a grocery store and a couple of restaurants. Yes, everyone's favorite friendly local strip mall. I said that in air quotes. Yeah, air quotes on the strip mall there. And the immense sprawl of these places made it so that the only, like the literal only viable way of getting anywhere was by car. Oh, yes. Yeah. You cannot walk in a lot of really big planned community suburbs or it's going to take you a lot. Like, how long would it take you to walk from your house to the nearest transit station? The nearest transit station's about two and a half miles. So, yeah, a good hour, bit. Hour, maybe. Especially since there's no sidewalks in a lot of these places. Oh, oh yeah. Daybreak. Yes. <laughs> Daybreak. Oh, boy. That's funny. That's funny. That's another hyperlocal thing, but you'll figure it out. Look it up. <laughs> Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, if you want to be sad. Hashtag daybreak is fake. But. <laughs> I can actually only get to one of the local train stops in my town. By local, I mean they are within city limits. The other one is blocked off by a pedestrian inaccessible freeway bridge. Oh, that's <laughs> truly delightful. Yes, I, that's, that's truly delightful. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, you can't walk anywhere. you got to drive everywhere. And this, besides causing everyone to suddenly, like, become completely atomized from one another, like, have you ever talked extensively with your neighbors that much? Not since I was a small child. We generally kind of avoid them. Yeah. Have you? Um, I don't know, no more than other people. All we've ever had with my neighbors is, like, five-minute casual conversations. And it used to be... You knew your neighbors, like they were your friends, and now we're all kind of just split off into these weird little bubbles. Basically, what we got is an America where white people live around, rich white people mostly, or just rich people in general, live around the outskirts of the city. The poor people live in the outer areas of the inner city. And then the inner city is just a super gleaming office buildings where people drive to in the morning and then flee back out to the suburbs to hang out at their house every night. So uh, this whole pattern kind of completely set us up for failure because, as I'm sure all of you are aware, this development pattern just hasn't stopped since. No, it has not. It's not going to. No, well, not anytime soon. Unless you know, like we do something about it. But <laughs> that's silly. Yeah. 
Yeah, even here in the Salt Lake Valley, we've got Salt Lake City up in the center at the upper end of the valley. You've got a lot of older, denser housing districts, pretty good transit connections there. From there on out, it is all suburbs, suburbs, suburbs. You look at it on a satellite view map, it's just the same houses over and over again, not very dense, and we're still building suburbs. Yes. That was a field, it's a suburb now. That was yeah. a field, it's a suburb now. Anywhere we've got space, we're building suburbs. And, you know, the thing about car infrastructure and the way we build suburbs is, like, suburbs beget suburbs, because when you build car-centric infrastructure, you gotta keep building it because there's no way to sort of easily fix it. Yeah, because car infrastructure is just so spread out. Like we mentioned, it's pretty inaccessible to pedestrians. If you have a bike, you're better off, but that's still only practical for short distances. You could not make your commute to work on a bike if you wanted to. In most places, yeah. It's scary riding your bike on the roads. Oh, share the road. (sighs) Don't don't get me started on the lack of bike lanes. Yes. They're they're kind of fixing that downtown Salt Lake, but... Yeah. Um, anyway. No, not really. Topic for a future episode. But, yeah. I mean, this sprawl begets sprawl begets sprawl begets sprawl has continued to the point where today uh, 1% of America is pavement. 1% of the land area of America is pavement. Is that's that, right. That's true. Not like that 1% true. of cities or 1% of suburbs, 1% of the entire land area. Of the United States, uh, the third largest country on Earth? Yeah, something like so that. That's probably... 61,000 square miles of the United States is just concrete. That's enough to cover the entire state of Ohio. With ease. Here's the great thing. Uh, We have also, of that 61,000 square miles, 4 million miles is roads. So, you know, (laughs) sort of necessary. But get this, there are 1 billion parking spaces in the United States, which is like what? Three parking spaces per person completely obscene and most of them are not used because there are only 200 and how many million cars in the United States? 287 million. 287 million cars. Yeah, if you laid down every person in the United States on parking spaces, about two-thirds of them would be unoccupied. That is, that's that's great. Yeah. I I think now is a good time to just mention that the size of a U.S. parking spot, I believe, is bigger than anywhere you can find in a lot of major cities in Asia. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we just build it everywhere, so... Oh, yeah, I, I, sorry, I believe Hong Kong specifically. Yes, yeah. that makes sense. And um, parking minimums in suburbs have made this problem so much worse because every type of development has a minimum amount of parking that's required, which is normally way above the amount of people that are ever going to use that lot. Yeah, yeah, because you've got to plan in future growth and peak capacity into your parking lot design, which ends up with, on average, a massive waste of space. On average, a massive waste of space. Very well said. And it's just such an inefficient use of land space, especially in our downtowns, which could be like these centers of life. Because remember, we have these things called buildings that go upwards, and turns out you can fit like multiple things stacked on top of each other. That is so what? weird. I, I know. I This is America. I've never seen that like, before. Instead <laughs> of a parking space, you could have like a 20-story building. 
Wow, filled with affordable housing to help solve the homelessness problem that plagues U.S. cities? Wow, that's a pretty funny idea. No, I I, Connor, I'd rather stick with my parking space. Yeah, sounds like <laughs> communism to me. Sorry, my three parking spaces. Yeah, and so, like, besides these, like, massive inefficiencies in terms of, I mean, just think about the water pipes that you have to lay on these longer suburban roads. Like, that's way more water pipe than on a traditional grid. And also electrical and sewer and internet. Literally internet. everything is made more expensive by this kind of sprawl. And so cars and their parking and the infrastructure they create are terribly inefficient. But even cars themselves are just horribly inefficient. I mean, first of all, they sit idle for most of the time. Like, you have the statistic. What is it, Kyle? 96% of the time. Holy cow. Because remember, this is America, and you own your car to get your freedom. Wait, (laughs) that seems too high to me. 96% 96% on average cars sit idle for 96% Alex, you own a car. Are you driving it more than 4% of the time? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, okay. I I, I miss that. I thought you meant you idle your car. No, no, no. no. Like, they're sitting. Okay, okay. So they're not moving. Yeah, like, think about it. Like, the average American, you drive 15 to 30 minutes to work. You park it for eight hours. You drive 15 to 30 minutes back home. Maybe a little stop at the store. You're maybe driving an hour a day. One out of 24 hours. And you don't do that every day. Okay, I believe that now. Yeah, it's just absurd. And then compounding this fact, less than 20% of the actual fuel that you stick into a vehicle uh, actually ends up in the wheels. There's just a whole ton lost in friction and heat and uh, what's the thing on the wheels? Rolling resistance. Rolling resistance. It's just... (sighs) Yeah. Cars... Ah! Car bad? Car bad. Car bad. <laughs> Car bad, surprisingly. I'm glad we can agree on that, <laughs> and we have the statistics to back it up. And, um, you know, also, a lot of the time that those cars are uh, driving, they're stuck in this great thing we have in America called uh, traffic. Whoa, I love traffic. That's the, my favorite part of my commute. Oh, yes, because... Uh, Literally every major city has a ton of over-congested highways running straight into it. I mean, Houston, L.A., Boston, Chicago, New Boston. York, Boston. Boston. Yeah, Boston. Uh, so it, I can't help myself. I know. <laughs> Atlanta, even like Salt Lake City here, we've got oh, terrible... Yes. I-15 is the transit corridor oh. up and down the valley. Oh, oh yeah. Point on the mountain towards Lehigh. Oh, no. Oh. Please, no. It's obscene. Yeah. And even in my hometown, Boise, Idaho, which has a metro population of 730,000 people, there are massive traffic jams every day during commuting times. Yeah, because keep in mind, these aren't people's once-a-week trip to the grocery store. These are commutes in every day and out every day. Alone. Oh, yes, alone. <laughs> I mean, and th- most of the time, Americans drive alone. Like, I know that libertarians love to spout off about how the average car trip is 1.56 uh, people. But, you know, <laughs> there is a one in that number, and it's pretty skewed upwards by, like, actual van pools and people. Yeah, and th- and just 1.56 people, the average is not even close to the five to eight people a car could fit. Oh, yes. And I believe when I looked at the National Transit Database data the other day for how people are commuting in our area in particular, 63% of people drive to work alone here. Oh my goodness, that's a lot. Yeah. 
That is a very poor utilization of available capacity. Oh, yes, and it's just it's just absolutely absurd, and highway departments and transportation departments all around the country try to fix this by doing their favorite thing. The hub toll lane. Which doesn't help, and then widening the highway, which helps even less because of our good friend, induced demand. Believe it or not, if you build more road capacity, that brings down traffic, which is great, right? But once traffic is lower, more people want to drive, bringing traffic right back up to its equilibrium state, where... Basically, uh, it's just barely not painful enough where people want to keep driving. And this is what you experience on your daily commute. Every day, unless you live in uh, a very privileged place like we do, where we have wonderful UTA. Wow, that's Utah Transit Authority, by the way. They run the local light rail and bus systems. Yes, and, uh, oh, not to mention Frontrunner. Oh, yes, everybody's favorite 80-mile-long commuter rail system. Yes, one of the best in the country, in my opinion, but that's for a later episode. And, you know... There are cities that are just notorious for this to like where a point has become like almost part of their culture like LA basically famous for having a thousand miles of parking lots every single rush hour and it's just as bad in like Houston, Atlanta and even my hometown of Boise we just get these massive traffic jams every single rush hour and not only are we building terrible inefficient cars but the infrastructure is inefficient and it sucks too cars are just such an inefficient use of resources and space and money and time that we as a society cannot actually build enough road capacity to fit everybody in their cars getting where they want to with no traffic that's right or at least not reasonably and i know that there's a whole lot of gadget bond solutions out there like quote autonomous ride hailing every tech guru's like wet dream right now yeah just follow elon musk on twitter and he'll keep you in the with all the latest <laughs> the hyperloop if you will. oh yes, ah, yes the hyperloop very practical but i know like everyone's like oh well we can reduce the inefficiency of cars and the road space needed but it doesn't really solve the base problem of car dependent infrastructure yeah. no it doesn't the only end game in which cars are fine is elon musk's end game where we have unlimited electric cars which everybody <laughs> can ride share for free and they're all self-driving everywhere don't know how we're going to get that. Uh, oh, yeah, not to mention car subways. <laughs> car subways? <laughs> Wait, what if we dug a tunnel underground, right? And we let cars drive through it, right? Fix all our traffic problems. Remember our old friend, induced demand? You build more roads, you get more cars? Still applies, my friends. Oh, yes. Mm. It feels like with the tunnel, we could put maybe a train there? Or, a, or, like, uh, or like Seattle used to do, like a... A bus through a dense area? Mmm, like those things that you can put, like, multiple people in, right? Yeah, so weird. Almost like the solution to the massive societal atomization, the destruction of property, the redlining, the racial inequity, you know, all the problems this whole car dependency thing has created is walkable cities with good bike infrastructure and gasp, I know, hot take, say it public transportation. Ooh, and that's what we're all about here at the Red Line Podcast. Uh, so if you've enjoyed this little mini episode of us going over why cars are bad as a basis to our, our sort of our whole series, which is going to be a whole lot of discussion on transit topics near, far, small, and big, stick around for more episodes. I mean, next week we've got a pretty cool one coming, The Battle of the Titans 
LRT versus BRT, or is it really a battle? We'll see. Thank you for so much for listening to The Red Line. Have a nice day. Yes, indeed. Oh, and please remember to follow our all of our socials. Our Twitter is at TheRedLine underscore pod. We'll have that link down in the show notes. Of course, as well as our YouTube channel. If you're listening on uh, Apple or Spotify, we're going to have videos there as well. So, yeah, just tune in for more cool transit stuff and all of our brilliant hot takes on it. Oh, yes. And give us money. We have a Patreon. Link link in the show notes. We will have a Patreon, yes. And it's going to have a cool uh, rail map that you can get on. So that's a perk, my dude. So you should definitely follow us. And uh, if you're old, email us. We do have an email. (laughs) We do have an email. Theredlinepodcasters at gmail.com in the show notes. Yes, in the show notes. Oh, and we have a website too, don't we? We do, www.trlpod.com. Yeah. It's been uh, lovely talking today. It's been lovely it talking. Has. Thanks for Absolutely listening. Absolutely a wonderful yeah. conversation, my dudes. Maybe we'll get a sponsor for the next one. I like uh, money. Honey? Or Best Fiends <laughs> or uh, Raycon earbuds. Like, we'll take any of you. We need money. We're poor college students. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We should probably cut most of this out, but yeah. that's fine. We probably should. Yeah. Save it for the Patreon subscribers. Yeah. <laughs>